were young here, you might have heard your parents say, when I was a kid, and fill in the blanks, right? I used to go to the corner shop and buy a bag of lollies for 20 cents. Right? Five cents, oh wow, that's way longer. You know, the biggest investment, the biggest electronic investment in our family when I was a kid was a scientific calculator. That was cool. Didn't know what all half the buttons were used for, but that was so cool when you got one. How many hours would I sit there calculating? Um, you know, all these things, when we think back and how much life has changed, and we, we, we acknowledge life has changed quite a lot in the last 20, 30, 40 years. But just imagine how much it's changed in 2,000 years. Sometimes we are very quick to take what we read in the Bible and just throw it into where we are today without maybe stopping to think, oh, what did it mean for them? What kind of life were these people living back then? Today we have uh, uh, almost a glutton of news to choose from. There is no way any kind of army is going to mobilize in the world without someone knowing about it way in advance. Right? But back then, you could wake up in the morning and find on the horizon a huge army that threatened your very existence. Today we can tell, we can look at you know, uh, weather maps and have an idea of when it's going to rain. Back then, when there was a drought, they never knew when was it going to rain. They couldn't plan on saying, oh, it looks like next week there's going to be a bit of rain. They woke up in the morning, is there rain? There's no rain. How long is this going? I don't know. There was a lot of stress around that. Stress that they didn't know what was going to happen. Wake up that morning and maybe the crops will be dead. There'll be no food. Because they lived day to day. You know, when we have, uh, you know, we go into lockdown, where does everybody run to? Toilet paper. If you pulled somebody from 2,000 years ago and you said, what's your biggest investment when things lock down and you say toilet paper, they're going to laugh at you. Because can you only imagine what the sanitation was like back then? They would have thought that's the last thing we'd worry about. What about bread? <laughs> you know. and, and so you've got to understand where these people were living. You see, the, the problem we have historically is that a lot of the stuff that survived, that show us how you know, the ancients lived 2,000 years ago, are these beautiful frescoes from rich people's homes. You forget that if you go to Rome or if you go to Israel, a lot of what remains are the upper class stuff. Because people in their homes who were middle class to poor did not have frescoes like that in their homes. And we forget that because we see a, a kind of lifestyle. Oh, look, that's kind of cool. They're kind of hanging out. There's mum with the kid and the kids are all running around. Really lovely and all that. Sure, because they're ultra rich. It's kind of like 2,000 years from now, they're going to um, kind of base our view, what they think our lifestyles are like because of, I don't know. Uh, I missed that. What was that? Megan and Harry. Yeah, oh, exactly. 
or you know a great uh, a house in Malibu I, I don't know yeah, think about it Buckingham Palace I think oh look how they lived 2,000 years ago with most of us don't live like that that's the way not the way most people lived back then in fact it will be more pointed in next week's sermon as Jesus goes on in the Sermon of the Mount and he talks about do not worry just start thinking about what do not worry really meant to people who didn't know really what was going to happen tomorrow but I mean the lifestyle for most people was dramatic in some ways difficult not pretty there was limited water and, and the means of sanitation was pretty well you know they had communal toilets so you would go and talk to your friends while you went to the toilet it's kind of weird right the human and animal density sometimes is neglected we don't think about how many people were condensed into very small spaces and the streets were teeming with animals of all sorts of course you can imagine what the streets looked like then houses were, were generally for the most part small cramped and just one room teenagers you know when you go off to your room because you can't handle it anymore actually parents too um, <laughs> there's no room to go to it's one room you go to your corner I want to go to my corner you go to your corner yeah it's all there it's, it's sleeping, living, eating it's all there in the one room and generally they were cramped spaces there was no privacy forget about personal bubble spaces I used to love it when I was living in Rome and we'd have friends from America or friends from Australia visit us and they'd stay with us and they'd hate it because everyone's in your face you get on a bus and they're literally cramped right up next to you and they're like I can't handle this there's no personal bubble space and we'd be like what what's that back then there was even more so there was no personal bubble space privacy was out the window and a lot of these homes would have been smelled of the ugliness of humanity you imagine everything from from sweat if someone was sick sanitation these places didn't smell really great and for the most part they were dark damp and constantly dirty because when you tracked anything that you tracked from outside inside well it'd follow you in and you know fire was a big issue because even though fire gave light at night a lot of the, the poorer or middle class uh, people didn't live in these lovely little uh, clay built homes they lived in wood thatched homes and if fire caught it wouldn't be just your house that caught fire it would be a whole uh, epidemic everybody would catch fire that's why the fire in Rome when Nero was apparently playing his fiddle which he wasn't but anyway that caused so much damage because everyone was living in small tight areas and the outside streets were just as bad we, we you know, you think about what animals do and on top of that something that's not very much talked about human corpses You know, people sometimes just died in the street. The poor in particular, the lonely, the widows, no one who were looking after these people. Sanitation was a huge issue. So can you just imagine yourself in that kind of environment? Just take yourself back to that. It would be quite intense, wouldn't it? I want you to feel that because this week and next week 
it will make all the more sense and how important what Jesus is telling us in these passages, these next two sermons. Today we're talking about treasures. Next week we're talking about worry. And this is how these people lived. But before I get into that, I need to kind of do some backing up a little bit. And I'm going to ask this question, what is, what's in an idol? I know it feels like I've just done an about face, but it will make sense. Leading up to this point in history, 2,000 years ago, where Jesus is speaking to these uh, Jews, to the, the people around him, his brothers and sisters, his family, and, and the people that he's related to, even distantly, they're all there around him. He's talking to them. He's talking to them in a language that they are understanding that sometimes we don't. And a lot of it is born for the history of being together for a very, very long time. And the Israelites were together for a very long time. If you read the Old Testament, what is Israel's biggest problem? Idolatry. You read it all the time. They come straight out of Egypt where they're worshipping their own gods. They go to Sinai and the first little bump in the road, what do they do? They pull up a golden calf and they start worshipping a golden calf. You think, that's nuts. What's wrong with you people? You just saw God part the sea. Why would you bow down to a golden calf? And if you go on through the Old Testament, there are all these issues with foreign gods, Baal, Molech, Asherah, all these gods that seem to be tempting the Israelites. They're envious of foreign gods. that They fall for them. And this goes on up until a certain point in which God then sends him into exile. He sends him to Babylon for the fact that they continued to worship foreign gods. That God just, oh, you're off to Babylon. But something happens in Babylon. Because from that point on, you don't hear about Israel worshipping foreign gods anymore. It's a peculiar thing in the Bible. It kind of stops at that point. Up until then, there's all these other gods and all the kings are falling for them, all the Jews are falling for them. Then after that point, that doesn't seem to happen anymore. By the time we get to Jesus' point, they're pretty secure in, in worshipping God. What, what's happened? What, what's changed? Well, over time... Well, they got used to the Babylonians. They got used to the Persians who came along. They got used to the Greeks through Alexander the Great. Then the Romans, all these new people had come. And sure, they had their own gods, but they brought something that the, the, the Jews were just quite fascinated by. Wealth. The Persians brought silks from the east, things that people had never seen before. They dressed in ways that were quite exotic colors that they hadn't seen before things are like oh that's kind of cool the greeks brought knowledge and 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 good dress sense and then the romans brought power and villas and fancy statues and all of a sudden now we get to jesus's point the idol isn't anymore god the idol actually is this the accumulation of treasures the actual idol here is materialism they're not worried about what other gods they see anymore they're worried about what other people are doing what other people are looking like what other people have 
And this is tough because they're living in a tough environment and not only are they trying to eke out a living, but they're paying taxes as well. So not only are they trying to make ends meet for a lot of these people, they're paying taxes to support the lavish lifestyle of all these people around, all these rich people, the Herods and, and, and the Caesars. And you know what that does? It just builds envy and that cokes that in the word of calling themselves revolutionaries. We need to change everything and flip it upside down so we can have the money and we can have the material. This was an issue. And Jesus confronts this. Here he is sitting to these, talking to these people. He's in a region of Galilee, which is a, actually a poor region. It's not a wealthy region. Bethsaida, where, where something like six of the apostles have come out of, that little town was a small fishing village. It didn't have much. And the wealthy were wealthy and the poor were poor. And he's talking to them. He says, I know you want security. I know personal esteem is a really cool thing and I know power is really important and I know independence is great and I know pleasure is wonderful. But these have become idols in your life. We need to address this, and that's what he does in these passages. He begins to address the elephant in the region. <laughs> he says, you, we, we need to actually sit down and talk about it. And the first thing he starts on is the treasures of the heart. In Psalm 49, the psalmist says this, so don't be impressed with those who get rich and pile up fame and fortune. They, can take it, they can't take it with them fame and fortune all get left behind and just when they think they've arrived and people praise them because they've made good they enter the family burial plot where they'll never see sunshine again we aren't immortal we don't last long like our dogs we age and weaken and die it's a powerful psalm anticipating some of the problems that the Israelites will face Where are your treasures stored away? Where is your heart? What has a grip on your heart? So Jesus opens up with two treasures. Like I said, I really believe Jesus was Baptist. Everything's in threes for Jesus, right? He gives us three stories. He gives us three points in this. He starts with two treasures of the heart. That's the first point he hits on. And he gives us a couple of examples. Don't hold treasure down here where things get eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile your treasures in heaven where it is safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you will most want to be and end up being. So he challenges them right away. Hey, don't worry about what other people have. Don't worry about what things are out there. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? It really is because we want to, I want my iPhone, man. Apple rocks. One person thought it was funny. But it's true. I mean, we do. We have our things. We want the cool bike. We want the cool house, we want the cool car, and we just get caught up in it, our clothes and all this stuff. And Jesus here is challenging the people back then who have a very similar problem to what we have today. 
And he's saying, where are you at? So here's the thing. Sometimes we interpret this verse to think we'll give up in this life so that we'll have treasure in the next life, right? Anyone who's read that will, will hear this and they'll say, sure, if I give up now, I can have treasures in heaven. And everyone's like, yeah, treasures in heaven, that's what, 40, 50 years away maybe. Okay, I can do this. But Jesus is not talking about sometime later on. Heaven's not someplace that's going to happen when you die and you go there. He's talking about now. He's actually talking about the here and the now. Remember how he started the whole uh, Sermon on the Mount? Repent. Turn from the direction you're going and be ready because the kingdom of heaven is here. In some translations, is coming. It's happening. It's right here. So when he talks about heaven and earth here he's talking about heaven happening here and now your treasures are being stored for now not for later think about that for a moment he's not talking about some later time he's talking about the here and the now great song turn your eyes to jesus look full in his wondrous grace this is it point one point two point two we'll come up to it learn to live in the presence of the loving father who is here and now Jesus is telling them hey heaven is here now at the end of time we're not going to heaven heaven's coming here Revelation chapter 22, heaven's coming straight down to earth. It's, it's right here. So don't wait for you going somewhere. We're coming here. In fact, it's already here. So the challenge in this first part about where the two treasures of your heart is this. Learn to live in the presence of the loving Father because if you learn to live in his presence all of a sudden the things of earth will grow strangely dim. The things that you are holding on to tend to be unholded, if that's a word. So Jesus challenges his people. He's saying, hey, I know that you know, you're in that one room place. I know that you can see what others have. Stop looking there. Look to God and live it here and now the next point he brings up is two eyes the eyes of the heart he says this your eyes are windows into your body if you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief your body will fills up with light but if you live squinty eyed in greed and distrust your body is a dank cellar if you pull the blinds on your windows what a dark life you will have it's interesting because there's two aspects to eyes. It's what you see as what comes in, but also what you see is what goes out. One writer says, you know, our eyes are kind of like uh, headlights at night. They, they light up what we want to see. If you close your eyes, you won't see where you're going. Or sometimes you focus on the wrong things. Your spotlights need to be straight on Jesus. That's where your eyes need to be focused. 
And Jesus breaks this down by saying, learn to see and reflect the presence. Don't just live in the presence of God, but you've got to learn to see God and reflect him to others. It's not reflected by what we wear or what we have. Let's make that really clear. It's not reflected by what we do. It's reflected by who we are. And then the last point is this, two masters of the heart. And this is where he gets to the crux of his point. He says at the end of chapter, uh, at the end of verses 22 to 23, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. The word for money here is mammon. That doesn't just actually mean money. It means wealth and status. Because back in those days, sure, there was money. The rich had the money, but most of the poor were bartering. It was all about status and wealth. That was what it was about. And he was saying, look, you, 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 you're going to have to work hard to make a lot of money. You're going to have to work hard to get wealthy and to get status. What's more important to you? The thing about mammon is this. It rules your heart. It's the boss of your heart. It tells you when to move. It tells you when to be and where to go. That's the difference. The master of your heart will tell you where to go and you will go. If Jesus is the master of your heart, how would your life change today? Learn to follow the presence of the loving Father who is here and now. It's not just enough to live in his presence. It's not just enough to see and reflect his presence, but to follow him. Psalm 49 is quite in your face, right? Like dogs, it says at the end, like the animals of the earth, we will get sick and die and be forgotten. But there is one who doesn't forget. There is one who holds you and lifts you and loves you. But the question Jesus was challenging his people then, and he challenges us today, who is actually the master of your heart? Is it God or is it mammon? Is it wealth? Is it what's driving it? Fun topic to talk about on a Sunday morning. You know, the Jews back then struggled with it because they had to make a living. There's, there's no two ways around it. It was not easy. Uh, your crops could have been stolen. There could have been some sort of disease that would kill it. And, and then you have no food for the day or, or the next. I mean, it was, it was seriously an existential problem for them. Maybe for us, it's not that bad. But sometimes it does feel like that, right? You've got a bill that you've got to pay at the end of the month. You've got kids that you're thinking about for the future. Kids, you're thinking about your studies 
because studies are so important, right? And people put pressure on you to be the best. And then so-and-so's got a really cool bike and we want that bike and I feel like I don't have. And all these pressures keep piling on us. You have people who tell us, we can be who we can be, we can be anything we want to be, but then I can't be because I'm just not good enough. And we live with these broken promises and sometimes they weigh us down and Jesus is saying, stop giving them strength in your life. Turn to me, let them go. They are bossing you around. And it's time to turn your heart to Jesus, turn your eyes to Jesus, and let him master your heart. And that's going to look different for a lot of us here, for every one of us. But the joy is we get to do this together, hey? You know what the master of my heart is? Stress eating. You hear it often from me up front. So I'm going to be challenged to do something in community with you all. You got to see that number up. (laughs) It wasn't a cricket score. Okay? So that's for me, but what about you? What what about you? It's good to look up here at Rob because he's a big target. Yep. But what about you? Who's mastering your heart? It's time to not be bossed around by that anymore. I ask the worship team to come up. And I pray for you. I'm going to pray for you all specifically. That the love of God may fill your hearts. That the power of the Holy Spirit might overcome what might be stopping you, whether it's fear or hurt, whether it's just a life pattern that's been there for so long. Father God, I pray for each and every one here, Lord. It's one thing to hear about it, it's another thing to act on it or even to look inwardly and say, Lord, what, what is in here that's bossing me around? What am I being driven by that is not of you? Where am I storing my treasures? Do I believe heaven is here and now? Or am I pretending it's far away beyond me right now? May our eyes reflect you to all those around us, but may they also see you. For who you are, you are our Father. And nothing like any earthly father. You're our God who chose to give everything up each and every one of us because we all matter to you you love each and every one of us speak to our hearts Holy Spirit I pray